0: The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. It is a formula that uses serum creatinine, it uses weight, and it uses age. Those are the variables.
1: Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This episode of Annals on Call focuses on the estimation of glomerular filtration rate. Joining us on this podcast is Dr. Neil Poe, who is the leader of the University of California's San Francisco Medicine Service at the Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital. His primary intellectual pursuits involved kidney disease, patient-oriented research, epidemiology, disparities, and both outcomes and effectiveness research. Neil chaired the National Kidney Foundation Task Force on reassessing the inclusion of race in diagnosing kidney disease. We base this podcast on three articles from the annals, race and the false precision of glomerular filtration rate estimates from December 2020. Cystatin C as a risk factor for outcomes in chronic kidney disease from July 27, and two novel equations to estimate kidney function person aged 70 years or older from the October 2012 issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Neil, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. I know you've had a long history of interest in the estimation of GFR. And even though everybody listening to this took renal physiology, we sometimes forget what the gold standard is for GFR. I think if, if we could discuss that and then talk about how we measure GFR and then how we estimate GFR, that really may help people understand what all these numbers mean.
0: Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me here. You know, if you remember back in medical school, GFR stands for glomerular filtration rate. And GFR is one of the functions of the kidney, arguably the most important function of the kidney, which is to filter toxic substances from the body and eliminate them from the body. If you remember back to to medical school, to measure GFR, what we wanted was something that was freely filtered by the glomerulus that was not reabsorbed in the kidney tubules and was not secreted in the kidney tubules because what comes out in the urine is a measure of what is filtered by the glomerulus. Back in in medical school, I learned, you know, that inulin, we learned about inulin clearance because inulin was one of those uh, molecules that was freely filtered and did not have problems with reabsorption or uh, secretion. You know, the gold standard that we use now, which is measured GFR, is the administration of an exogenous filtration marker, usually something like iothalamate. And as you know, that's a rather laborious process um, because it takes time. It has to be a test that's administered over hours and is more costly. So it can't be really done in real time for real-time decision-making. And that's the reason we've gone to try to estimate GFR from markers and other characteristics of patients that might account for the, what I would say, the non-GFR determinants of the level of those substances in the blood like creatinine.
1: What is creatinine and why was that chosen? Seems to be chosen about the time, actually before we were in medical school, probably in the 50s or 60s even. Why is creatinine a fairly good way to measure and estimate GFR? You know,
0: creatinine is a byproduct of of muscle, breakdown of muscle. It seemed to have some of the properties that we wanted in a marker that is freely filtered by the kidney and not reabsorbed and secreted. But actually, we do know that, in fact, there are problems in terms of that interfere with it being uh, secreted by the kidney. In fact, certain drugs affect that, some common drugs that we use. So, but it became a good marker for those reasons that i mentioned. The other part of this is that we've studied creatinine for a long period of time, for, you know, for decades, and its cost in medical practice is very inexpensive. So it fulfills some of the criteria. It's not perfect though, because it is determined, you know, it is associated with certain characteristics you know, demographic characteristics and muscle mass. Often, you know, we think about uh, people who have lost limbs and or tiny or frail individuals where their serum creatinine levels are typically low and a bump in their serum creatinine levels could signify a much more important problem in terms of their kidney
1: function. Uh, when I was an intern, if we wanted to estimate GFR, we collected 24-hour urine. That's in the mid-70s, uh, and we were always collecting 24-hour urines and then doing the calculations by uh, the famous uh, UV over P formula. And then Cockcroft and Galt published a paper, and, and that's really the beginning of using the creatinine without getting a urine collection, the cockcroft gault formula. Maybe you could talk about that and the subsequent formulas and what their advantages are and what their disadvantages are.
0: So the kockhoff was formula was published in 1976. And it is a formula that uses serum creatinine, it uses weight, and it uses age. Those are the variables. And interesting enough, when it was developed in 249 white men, And then it was extrapolated to women and to all other ethnic groups, interestingly, for almost, you know, two decades it it was used in that way. One of the limitations was getting accurate weights in individuals, which wasn't always measured, particularly in like clinics. We tend to do that more today. And it wasn't as accurate as we would have wanted it to be. And that's why In the late 1990s, in uh, 1999 to be specific, Levy et al. published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, a classic paper that estimated GFR uh, from serum creatinine. They they actually took data from the MDRD study, the Modification of Diet and Renal Disease Study, where they had measures of the gold standard iothalamate GFR. And they were able to look at variables that predicted better the measured GFR. And those variables that came out were obviously the serum creatinine level. They were age, they were sex, and they were African-American race as well. What's interesting, that cohort contained women for the first time and also a large, large number of African-Americans.
1: That was the beginning, and we'll get to uh, considerations of race and why race entered these formulas. But let's just also mention CKD-EPI, because that's one that keeps changing every few years. Right. The CKD-EPI,
0: the MDRD-GFR was developed off of one single study you know, the MDRD study. And so Levy and colleagues later in the mid to early 2000s developed the CKD-EPI collaboration. And that collaboration was bringing together researchers who had studies that had measured GFR in it and serum creatinine and a variety of other variables. And they went through the same exercise now, what one would call meta-analysis or meta-regression, and they estimated off of many studies. This is, you know, dozens of studies, well, with a larger number of participants in the thousands, Uh, and. They derived another equation that actually had the same variables that were in the MDRD equation, except there were the coefficients for those variables were were slightly different. But it led to more accuracy, particularly at the higher levels of GFR. And that's where the MDRD fell down, you know, quite a bit at at people who were at higher levels of uh, kidney function.
1: I think the good and bad news is that, and, and I don't remember exactly what year it was, but all of a sudden, our basic metabolic panels came back, not with just a creatinine, but also an estimated GFR, and I assume most people are now using CKD-epi to do that. I don't really know, but there's there's good and bad about that, so we now have a number to look at and to think about, does this patient have chronic kidney disease? But there are concerns because if I remember right, the assumption is that everybody of the same age, gender, and race have approximately the same muscle mass. And as you've already alluded to, some people have a lot less muscle mass and some people like NFL football players have a lot more muscle mass. And so it runs into problems. And I I have a story that I tell all the time uh, on rounds I had a medical student who's now practicing anesthesiologist in the second year of medical school. He was a very good student. He studied all the time, except for when he worked out and he worked out to such an excess that he he really was very, very muscular. He had routine labs done at student health and he had a cranium of 1.3. And they told him that he was on the verge of having significant chronic kidney disease. He becomes uh, our student up at a regional campus in Huntsville, still works very hard, doesn't work out as much, loses about 10 to 20 pounds of muscle mass, and his cranium goes down to one. He has the same GFR both times, but the estimated GFR has gone up a lot. I'd like you to spin off of that because you already alluded to people who have decreased muscle mass when these equations are not going to work as well. Right.
0: One of the things you have to realize is we can't put our stock in one number or the estimated GFR. We have to look at the patient, right? And we have to say, does the patient fit the, the evidence, you know, for estimation? And so if a patient has, you know, characteristics that would make us use our judgment to say what their true GFR, we should use that. An important part of this is actually the measurement of urinary protein or albumin to creatinine ratios, because we really want to know that in addition to uh, GFR when trying to ascertain someone's stage of kidney disease. So what you're getting at is, yeah, we have an individual who may be, let's say, a double amputee. These equations may not hold up or, or a frail individual because of disease or age. And so we have to use our clinical judgment in doing that. I want to address something else that you said that I think is very important. You you talked about the reporting of EGFR in labs in the country. Although the first equation for estimating GFR was produced uh, or published in the annals in 1999, it took till... 2007, some eight years later, that only 50% of laboratories in the country were reporting EGFR. And it took till 2013, till 90%, almost all labs in the, in the United States were, were reporting GFR. And interestingly, in 2019, where we have the most recent data from lab surveys, the most used equation is the MDRD equation. Huh. Adoption of evidence into clinical practice. And this was despite, in fact, 2013 that clinical practice guidelines called for the reporting of EGFR along with serum creatinine. So it takes a long time for us to adopt practices, evidence based medicine.
1: There are two controversies in the use of, of either one of these equations, of creatinine based equations for EGFR. One is the impact uh, of including race in the formula. And the other is the implication of people who are older than 65 or 70 who are poorly represented in those cohorts and get labeled as having CKD when, in fact, they probably don't have any kidney disease because they don't have any proteinuria and they don't seem to progress to kidney disease, but they happen to have a GFR uh, that we'd call 3A, where they their GFR is between uh, 46 and 60. And so we, they get a label, but they might not need to have that label. Could you address both the race issue and the age issue?
0: Let me start with the age issue. You know, studies show that as uh, if you just did in a population sample, the people of different ages, as you get older, that, that serum creatinine levels rise. And Estimated GFR declines, and it's a big debate as to whether that effect that we see is simply due to age, or is it due to other comorbidities that patients get, you know, when they get older. So that is still a very uh, a, a vigorous point uh, focus of research today. You know, it's what we often refer to as physiologic age. So if you have an individual who doesn't have many diseases, their kidney function may not look as if it's declining with age. We don't really know the answer to that. I do think we do need to think about older individuals who have an increase in their serum creatinine a little differently than we do younger patients. Because even if they have chronic kidney disease, chronic kidney disease might not be what leads to their demise. And so whether, how much to concentrate on the kidney disease versus other risk factors that they may have for morbidity and mortality becomes, you know, an issue. And I I think that's a lot of what, you know, primary care physicians should do in engaging patients and shared decision-making and understanding, you know, those, those relationships. And that's what I would say about the age issue. The, the the race issue, you know, is one that's been very contentious because race is a social construct. And here we have this social construct in estimating a, a biologic parameter, GFR. That's kind of a disconnect of why we have that in there. Well, the reason is, is because that's what the evidence showed that there was this relationship of serum creatinine with African-American race. We don't understand the reason for that. And, And there could be many reasons which are not necessarily biological, but could be social characteristics or behavioral characteristics, even diet, you know, can affect creatinine levels. But I would say that the studies over and over again, have shown this relationship that for the same measured GFR, if a person is an African-American man or an African-American woman, their serum creatinine is higher than their white counterpart. So what does that mean? Why, is, why does that occur? I, do, I actually don't know. I don't think anybody really knows that. Is this biological? Is it an epigenetic phenomenon? We know that there's discrimination against certain races. We know that discrimination can actually affect people in terms of stress and allosteric load, and that can then affect the biology. We need to disentangle what that relationship is. You know, I think that has led to a lot of the controversy and confusion that we see.
1: Race is being taken out of a lot of the equations now. And one of the things that is used, and I don't understand real well, because my hospital does not yet have it. Uh, my hospital is going to be getting it within the next few months, is cystatin C. I've read about cystatin C for a long time. I know cystatin C is low molecular protein released from all nucleated cells, and it is neither filtered nor reabsorbed, so it can be used in estimation equations, it seems to be more race independent, and perhaps will be something to check when we're more uncertain about whether we should be labeling someone with chronic kidney disease. There are CKD epi C formulas. There's a CKD epi C plus creatinine formula. How do you feel about about that? And is this something that you're doing yet at your hospital? Do you think it's going to be something we should all be learning about uh, over the next uh, several years. You know, I co-chaired
0: the National Kidney Foundation American Society of Nephrology task force on reassessing race in the diagnosis of kidney disease and you know our first recommendation was for laboratories uh, to gear up and reprogram their computers for this new 2021 CKD epi equation refit without the race variable. But our second recommendation was for laboratories and institutions to gear up to be able to measure cystatin C. And the other thing we recommended is that if you measure cystatin C, you should use both the information from cystatin C and serum creatinine because using two markers is much more accurate than using one marker uh, alone. That's whether race is in the, in the equation or, or not. You're right that cystatin C is produced you know, by all nucleated cells in, in the body, and it, it does not have this association with race. So it's a very, very promising marker. And there are other markers actually on the horizon too that researchers are looking at. Not all laboratories have that. Yours uh, have had this assay available. My hospital uh, started this assay about three months ago. And uh, it's not ubiquitous like creatinine. The other thing is cystatin C hasn't been studied as much as creatinine has. One of the big concerns is that cystatin C levels are affected by a variety of other things. One is inflammation. Some have suggested that it it may act like an acute phase reactant. So in very seriously ill patients, it may may be confounded or in in patients who are on uh, steroids, steroid levels affect cystatin C levels. And the studies on Cystatin C were all done in ambulatory patients, not in uh, patients who had more serious uh, disease. So we don't know in those circumstances how it's going to perform. The other thing is Cystatin C is uh, probably a- around, at least the Medicare reimbursement rates are about three to four times uh, What a serum creatinine is. You may say, "Well, that's not too much." For example, five dollars versus eighteen dollars for five dollars for serum creatinine, eighteen dollars for a cystatin C. But if you realize that there are more than I think it's been estimated more than two hundred and forty million creatinine tests are done each year in the United States. Switching over from creatinine to cystatin C would have a price tag of billions of dollars every year. So I think actually where cystatin C and what the task force recommended is cystatin C be used to confirm GFR done with serum creatinine when there's uncertainty. Now you have to realize that 15% 15% of individuals, which is large, have chronic kidney disease in the United States. But that means that 85% do not have chronic kidney disease. And probably any way of measuring kidney function in those who have normal kidney function is probably okay, The uh, 85%. So it's really in the 15% percent or are at the borderline that we need confirming information. And getting a cystatin C can help in, in those circumstances. You know, I, I would say this is a part of choosing wisely. how do we choose, you know, choose what we do in medicine
1: wisely? Let me see if I can put this in, into context. I've had a number of patients recently who had such decreased muscle mass that their estimated GFR was in the 300 range. I've had other people who ha- had seemingly normal estimated GFRs, but I knew that they'd had a cord injury or they're cachectic and suspected that their renal function was much worse than their estimated GFR from creatinine. So this might be uh, a test that I would order in those patients so that I can dose their medications right while they're in the hospital uh, or in an outpatient setting so I can better understand uh, do they have kidney disease, do they not have kidney disease. But I really like what you said about not not getting it just routinely on everybody, but having that as something that you order under certain circumstances. And I think that that you've done a very nice job of explaining to all the listeners when the creatinine based estimation of GFR might not be that accurate. And those are the situations in which cystatin C might help us a lot. Is that fair?
0: That's exactly right, Bob. I think, you know, choosing wisely and when we need information for a clinical, an important clinical decision, such as dosing of drugs, such as referral to a nephrologist, uh, you know, such as referral to transplantation for those who have more severe kidney uh, function, that's when having an additional test may help.
1: Neil, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I've uh, done a great job of reminding everybody about the renal physiology and what we're really doing and what those numbers really mean. So thanks again. Thanks for having me, Bob. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. EGFR is not a real number, but rather an estimate of the glomerular filtration rate. These estimates work best with the following assumptions. The average muscle mass that the patient has for his or her demographics, that is neither overly muscular nor markedly decreased muscles, such as in major amputation, cachexia, or cord injury, and that the creatinine is stable. Estimated GFR is not useful with increasing or decreasing creatinine levels. We discussed the problems of including race and the possibility that we overdiagnose CKD in older patients. Finally, we mentioned that we will be seeing cystatin C as an alternative method for estimating GFR in those situations where we want to better characterize the patient's renal function. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast.
0: For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org oncall on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.